Good morning, Christ Church. It is a joy to be with you in the sanctuary, and we are so grateful for those of you who are also joining us online. And I am excited to open up the Word of God with you. But before we do that, I want to pause to testify to God's goodness. This wasn't on the script, but God is just so good. Some of you know I just recently lost my father to cancer. And this is my first time preaching without my dad ever watching online. Uh, He would either always be here in the front row or watching online, and I'll be honest, I was a little sad about that. But then this song, this was the song that was playing as he took his last breath and entered into glory, and the song that he also requested being played at his memorial service. And as you were singing, I just felt as though the love of God was blanketing me with God's goodness. And so thank you so much for your ministry. You will never know who you touch and minister to through the ministry of song. Isn't God so good? Well, as we open the word together, let us prepare our hearts in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much that you see us in our weariness and our grief and our sadness. You see us in our joys. We thank you that you see us here now and that your presence ministers to us. We thank you so much for the ministry of the word. And so, Lord, we pray in these next few moments, those fleeting and fast as it may go, we pray that we would not miss a moment of being attuned to your presence and spirit. May these moments not be in vain. And so, Lord, we ask that you would open up our hearts and minds and that we would receive your goodness on this day, that we would be better after encountering you, that we would be shaped and formed into your likeness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One of my first ministry positions outside of college was at Good Shepherd Church in Naperville. And I had the great joy of serving as a youth pastor, working with the high school students. And I, of course, knew that God had a call uh, to preaching on my life, but up until that time, I really only had experience preaching to students, which was a lot of fun. Adults, scared me. The idea of preaching in big church as a 23, 24-year-old was utterly terrifying. And so I will never forget the day that the senior pastor came downstairs and he heard me preaching to the students. And after preaching, he said, I think it's time we have you preach on a Sunday morning. And I didn't know whether to pass out. I didn't know whether to argue him with him and tell him no. And I thought, really? And I, in fact, I even pushed back. I said, really? You want me like to preach a, a whole sermon to the scary adults? Like, all I know is preaching to students. You want me to preach everything? Preach the whole service? He said, yes. And then he said something that cut straight to my heart. He said, Tara Beth, I believe in you. Have it, has anyone ever said that to you? maybe a mentor or a parent or someone that you really look up to, and they say those simple yet profound and meaningful words, I believe in you. Have you ever wondered if God believes in you? 
Sure, we believe in God, but what about God believing in us? Have you ever wondered how God thinks of us? I often reflect on that. Like a little girl wanting to please her father, I often wonder of the Lord, Lord, am I pleasing you? Am I making you proud? Do you, God, believe in me? We are told that God loves us, but have we ever thought about that maybe God also believes in us, that God has a role and a purpose for us, and that maybe God has given us capabilities because God actually believes and the gifts and his presence that he's given us. Well, in our text today, which comes from Luke's gospel, Jesus not only teaches the disciples the way, but he reveals exactly what he thinks about them. He reveals exactly how he believes in them. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. And if you have your Bibles and you would like to open them up and follow along, otherwise you can also follow along on the screen. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go buy food for all of this crowd. And about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord, and I am thankful to be opening it with you on this day. 
You see, something absolutely stunning and beautiful happens in this passage of Scripture. There is a shift in the way Jesus interacts with his disciples. You see, up until now, they have watched Jesus. They've watched him perform miracles. They've watched him proclaim about the ways of the kingdom of God. They've watched him get into some trouble with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious elite of the day. They've watched him proclaim that he himself is Lord, and they've heard about the good news of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus looks to them. He says, now it's your turn. These young, ragtag, oftentimes misfit young men group of disciples, Jesus turns to them and gives them their first chance. And he tells them now to go. And not only does he tell them to go, but he gives them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. So we're not talking about going out and raking leaves. We're not talking about a simple humanitarian project. But Jesus gives them power and authority even over demons to perform miracles and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the good news. And it's stunning if you think about it. This misfit ragtag group who often gets it wrong when we read through the Gospels. When we read about them missing the mark. We, we read about them even turning their backs on Jesus at times. We read about them not understanding the proclamations of Jesus. We, we read about them not fully getting it or wrapping their minds around the work that Jesus is doing, but then now here something different happens. Jesus turns to them as if he might actually believe in them. He is creating space for them and giving them an opportunity to do the very work that Jesus had been doing. To do the very work of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, to do the very work of healing the sick, to do the very work of driving out demons. And so Jesus, of course, he recognizes, as we see all throughout the Gospels, that Jesus recognizes that he himself is the agent of redemption, that he himself is the Messiah, that he himself is the Savior, and with this move right here, we see that the followers of Jesus are partners. Let me say that again. Yes, Jesus is the agent of redemption. Jesus is a savior. Jesus is the Messiah. And we see here that the disciples are partners in a critical process to the advancing of the kingdom of God and the gospel. You see, up until now, the disciples have been rather passive. They've been sitting at the feet of Jesus. Of course, they have been learning. Of course, they have been growing. But now, they're invited to take a totally different step forward, and they're invited to join Jesus in the work that Jesus is doing. And not only that, but Jesus doesn't send them out for just any kind of work. He sends them out to do the work that he's been doing. In other words, 
the work that he invites the disciples to do is intimately connected to the work that he's doing. The work that he does, he asks the disciples to do. Not only that, but he gives them power and authority to do the same kind of work that he has been doing. In other words, Jesus, yes, is the agent of redemption, and the disciples are invited to do that work, to join Jesus in that work. And so when Jesus sends them out, he gives them very special instructions. He's very detailed. He says, don't bring a staff, don't bring a bag, no bread, no money, don't even bring with you an extra tunic, nothing. And when you enter a house, don't stay there long, leave, and if they don't welcome you, shake the dust off of your feet and move on to the next town. Ask my husband how I pack. Whenever I pack a suitcase, I always pack for 10 days for a three-day trip. If I were one of Jesus' disciples here, I would be thinking, you want me to go town to town without my makeup, without a staff, without a bag, with, without anything? And, and he wants them to go with nothing. Why? Because Jesus is teaching them a vital lesson of what it means to do the work that Jesus is doing. Jesus is teaching them a vital lesson of what it means to be partners in the work of the mission of God, and that is Jesus is asking for their trust and dependence. Jesus is teaching them trust and dependence, to not rely on external things, but to learn to trust Jesus in the critical and awesome work of driving out demons, of healing the sick, and proclaiming the good news, and believing that through it all that God would provide. That God would provide. And Jesus doesn't sugarcoat this. He warns them. He says, you might be rejected. In other words, it's not going to be easy. This won't necessarily be popular. People are going to reject you. Not every town is going to welcome you with open arms. In fact, some people are going to tell you to leave, to go away, and you're going to have to make your way to another town. Jesus wants their trust and dependence and faithfulness no matter what. So off the disciples went, healing and proclaiming and driving out demons And when they returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. I imagine them coming back over the moon. Jesus, you wouldn't believe what happened. Oh, it was hard at times, but we saw demons driven out. We we saw healings. And then they withdrew to rest. But by now, the crowds, the people, the cities, the villages were hearing all about Jesus and all that Jesus had been doing. So even as they withdrew, the crowds followed them. So Jesus continued on teaching, healing, and preaching. And as the day began to draw to a close, Jesus and the disciples have a conversation. The disciples begin to get worried. 
They look at all these people, it says some 5,000 men, then plus women and children, and they say, what are we going to do? Jesus, you need to tell these people to go home, go to the grocery store, and get their own food. They need to head out here. It's about to get dark, and they're going to be worried. Send them off, which is a logical idea. Tell them to go home. They're getting hungry. If we had masses and masses of people here without food, I would say, it's dinner time, folks. Why don't you head out to Egg Harbor or head out to a local restaurant? It was a logical idea. But now is a new kind of test that Jesus gives them. In this conversation, Jesus puts the ball back in their court. And he says, feed them. Feed them. You see, they had just learned the first lesson of learning to trust God, depend on God without a staff, without a tunic, without money, without food, and then going out and and healing and proclaiming the goodness of God. They had come back, and now Jesus says, okay, now feed the masses. You can imagine the disciples gathering and huddling. Jesus is now surely losing his mind. How will we feed this many people? Imagine Jesus just shaking his head and turning to the disciples. He says, okay, okay, okay. Here's what I need you to do. And he gives them instructions. He says, go and and have them sit together in groups of about 50, circles of 50. And so the disciples, they go out and they they have the the people sit together in, in different groups of 50. And as he's doing that, Jesus raises the bread and he breaks it and he looks up to heaven, recognizing that God is the bread of life, that God is the provider. And as he breaks it, he gives it to the disciples and there they see another miracle a feeding of 5,000 and more. Again, this text is absolutely central to the disciples' discovery of their role within the mission of God. You see, not only does Jesus reveal his identity in his teaching and his preaching, yes, throughout the Gospels we see Jesus proclaiming, I am Lord. We see all these beautiful images in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. We see the revelation of God in Christ through the teachings and proclamations of Jesus. And then we see the revelation of God in Christ through the work of Jesus. We see who Jesus is and the healings and the miracles. But now Jesus takes it another step further. And this is awesome. We see the revelation of God in Christ and the work the disciples are doing. In other words, the disciples, they understand who Jesus is through his teachings. They understand who Jesus is through his miracles. And now they get to understand who Jesus is in the serving, in their going, in their doing, in their participation, and what they are doing with Jesus and with this partnership. See, Albert Schweitzer puts it this way. He speaks to us the same word, follow thou me, and sets us to the task which he has to fulfill for our time. He commands, and to those who obey him, 
whether they be wise or simple, he will reveal himself in the toils, the conflicts, the suffering which they shall pass through, pass through his fellowship. And as an ineffable mystery, they shall learn in their own experiences who he is. I want that to sink in for a moment. You see, we experience Jesus. Jesus is revealed, yes, in his teachings that we see in the word. Jesus is revealed in the work that he does that we also read about in his word. And Jesus is revealed when we're out there in the neighborhoods and we're proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. Jesus is revealed when we're at breakthrough ministries or when we are mentoring children or when we are serving in student ministries or when we are preparing food for those who are hungry or when we are out in the mission field somewhere there as we are critical partners to the redemptive work of Jesus, we see and experience Jesus. In other words, we don't just experience Jesus in here and praise God, we do. We don't just experience Jesus in the proclamation and the sermon and praise God, we do. But we experience the power of Jesus in the participation. So to be a follower of Jesus is to also participate in the work of Jesus. See, just as the work that the disciples were called to do was so intimately tied to the work that Jesus was doing, in other words, the work that Jesus was doing, he was asking for the disciples to do. And so it is for us. The work Jesus does, Jesus also asks us to do. Our work and ministry is also connected to Jesus in the same way the disciples were. Just as the disciples were sent one, so are we. Just as the disciples were sent out to heal and proclaim the good news, so are we. Just as the disciples were given power and authority, so are we. Just as the disciples were sent out to go therefore and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, so are we. And that same power and authority that was given to the disciples also rests on us. So perhaps you need to hear this today. Jesus believes in us. Jesus believes in you. Let that soak in for a moment. Feel the weightiness and the gravity of those words as I feel them. You see, this Christian life that we've been invited into isn't just about consumption so that we can be fit for heaven someday. But we are to go, therefore, and heal the sick, 
sometimes through the simple ministry of presence and prayer and showing up at the hospital bed of someone who was suffering, to proclaim the good news to our neighbors, to our friends, to serve the outcast and the marginalized and the lonely, to enter into the places of injustice and bring about injustice and bring about justice, to stoop down low and wash the feet of the hurting and to love, to feed the hungry, to visit those who are imprisoned. You see, this Christian life that we are invited into is not just about consumption, but our feet should have blisters, our bodies should be tired, our minds should be weary, and when we become weary and our head hits the bed from exhaustion, we remember that God's power, presence, and authority is abundant because we have been given power. Perhaps you are sent out into a tough situation. God will guide you. Perhaps you're unsure what to do next. Ask for wisdom. Perhaps you're uncomfortable with the situation that God is calling you to. Rely on the power of the Spirit. Perhaps you are weary. Open yourselves up then to the empowering presence of the Spirit that impels and propels us and empowers us and emboldens us forward. Perhaps there's someone out there that's experiencing persecution. Jesus promises that even in that they will be blessed. Perhaps you feel as though this ministry that you're invited into is bringing an attack on all sides. Well, guess what? So was Jesus. You have been given power and authority. Yes, Jesus believes in us. Yes, Jesus believes in you. And this work that we're invited into isn't about me. It isn't about you. It's about him. It's about the work he's already doing. And it's about the call to go and join him in the work that he is doing in the neighborhoods all around us. And the invitation then is trust and dependence. Because in the end, we aren't the heroes of the story. Jesus is. We are but waiters at the table. We are but partners in ministry. We are but sent ones doing the work that rests in the power of Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing. This work that Jesus calls us into. Jesus doesn't stand on a mountain and say, just go and do it and tell me how it goes when you get back up here in heaven and we'll talk. But instead, because of the faithfulness of God in Christ, because God became human and dwelt among us, because of the death and the resurrection and because of the gift of the Spirit, We get to do it with God, and God does it with us. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go on to a swim camp. Perhaps you've heard me tell this story years ago. I had the opportunity to go on to a swim camp in New Mexico, and I was 16 years old. It was actually an Olympic swim camp. I was a very serious swimmer at the time. At the end of swim camp, we had the opportunity to climb a mountain 
there in New Mexico. And I wasn't prepared for the altitude changes. I was hyperventilating. I was really struggling. And the head of this swim camp was a swimmer by the name of Tom Jager. You see, before there was Michael Phelps, it was all about Tom Jager. He was a six foot three, gigantic, muscular. At one time, he was called the bullet, the fastest swimmer in the world. And as we were climbing this mountain, I found myself at the very end of the line of all 100 of these swimmers. And I was utterly and completely exhausted. And I sat down on a rock, and I just began to weep. And words like, you can't do this, you're a failure, turn around, go home, flooded my mind. And all of a sudden I heard six foot three Tom Jager making his way down the mountain trail. And I thought, oh no. I'm going to lecture, he's disappointed in me. But instead he comes and he gets down to my level. And he said, Tara Beth, we're going to do this together. Join me. We're going to do this together. I believe in you. And I got up from that rock and we climbed that mountain together. And I knew I wasn't alone. And you see, in the same way, I think sometimes we view this work that we're invited into as though, number one, it's up to us, as number two, we're the hero of the story, and as though God is just not there with us. But because of the faithfulness of God in Christ, Jesus enters into human history, understands this journey, and because of the gift of the Spirit, he's right there with us at our level, calling us forward to join him in this awesome work we are invited into. The question for you then is, will you go? Let us pray. God, we give thanks. You call us. And not only do you call us, but you empower us, you walk with us, you guide us, you give us wisdom. We are not alone. So God, I pray for Christ church. I pray that we as a church would catch the fire of this missional imagination that you have for us. God, I pray that we would be utterly captivated by this mission and that we would be sent out into this world ready and empowered to proclaim your goodness in the power of your spirit that a weary world might rejoice. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.